Welcome to Cloud Out Loud podcast with your hosts, John Gallagher and Logan Gallagher. Join these two skeptical enthusiasts, or are they enthusiastic skeptics, as they talk to each other about the cloud out loud. These two gents are determined to stay focused on being lazy and cheap as they evaluate what's going on in the cloud, how it affects their projects and company cultures, and sometimes how it affects the world outside of computing infrastructure. Please remember that the opinions expressed here are solely those of the participants and not those of any cloud provider, software vendor, or any other entity. As with everything in the software industry, your mileage may vary. Welcome back. So we are we're recording this in the beginning of July, and the lots of interesting doldrums occurring socially, politically economically but in in business those of you who've been watching business and investing know that the tech industry is being challenged we're in the middle of a lot of layoffs we're in the middle of startups that as early as late last year were being given billions of dollars are now cutting heads like crazy we have our own opinions as to the efficacy and wisdom of the actual actions that people are performing here the topic that we'd like to talk about is is ultimately what you try and do in these cases is limit your costs. If you have an unstable business environment, if you're not as profitable as you need to be or you're in some sort of survival mode, the one thing that you can definitely have control over is your cost structure. And like I say, we question the wisdom of reflexively doing layoffs because a lot of knowledge leaves the door and a lot of good people are hurt. We as engineers are would propose that there are things you could have done when you first approached the systems or you first started developing the systems you're going to deploy in the cloud. And there are things you can do with the systems that you're currently running in the cloud. So following the tenor of the times, we're going to be talking about cost control in this particular podcast. We're going to talk about it in two dimensions. We're going to talk about how to design systems for cost effectiveness and cost control and how to work with the systems that we have in place and decrease the cost of running them. Logan, do you want set to set it up for us? Yeah. Well, I think cloud in particular has some really unique opportunities for cost control because there are so many managed services on the cloud that allow you to leverage the most powerful data stores and compute workloads that Google or Amazon or Microsoft can provide, you have the opportunity to save a lot of money by running things on managed services like Lambda or Cloud Run, as opposed to running a service on a dedicated server in your data center. But on the other side of that coin is the fact that we've all heard the horror stories of costs running out of control. Someone turning on a Lambda function or some other type of compute workload in one of their environments, leaving it on for the night, and inadvertently waking up to a several thousand dollars bill. Now, all these cloud providers are willing to work with you on these type of topics, but that's a situation none of us want to be in when cloud cost gets out of control. And there are a lot of things that you could do to prevent that nightmare situation of waking up to the several thousands of dollars or several tens of thousands of dollars bill in the morning. I think one of the first ones is really shifting cost focus and cost transparency left. 
We've talked in the past and previous podcasts about shifting security left. This term gets thrown around a lot in tech. I think our interpretation of it is when you start addressing those concerns earlier along in your development workflow, such as as soon as you're pushing code to a version control repository. And with cost, there are tools available for each of these cloud platforms that could allow you to see how much is this VM going to cost when I spin it up for a month? How much will it cost if I run it using uh, reserved instances in Amazon or Spot? And getting an idea of the comparative costs also with the size of the VM, the type of storage attached to it, knowing those things and taking them into consideration earlier along in your development cycle can be really valuable because I think that it can both give you an awareness of expected costs, but it can also start surfacing up to the level of visibility to your developers, how much these things cost. And if your developers are thinking about that, they may start to begin to architect with cost in in mind. A story I tell all the time, and if you've studied business, if you've studied trends in in efficiency, you've probably heard this story before. Toyota Manufacturing was started by a gentleman named Toyoda, D-A rather than T-A at the end. And he created a series of looms that made the production of cloth ever more efficient. The His ultimate loom, now when, when you're making cloth, you're taking threads and you're binding them together in what's called a warp and a weft and they overlap each other and then create the create the cloth. If one of those threads breaks, then that amount of cloth until you shut down the machine is ruined. Before Toyota, people would have to watch these machines and detect that a, a thread had broken and shut the machine off, get in there, manually change stuff around. So you would lose all the cloth that was being produced during the time the thread was broken, all the time of running the machine itself where you could have been producing cloth and you had to have human eyeballs watching all these things. Toyota looked at this as a problem that could be engineered around. And first thing he did was create a system that would automatically shut itself off when either the warp or the weft threads would break. And in the first generation, it immediately raised an arm up so that the operator could come through and, and make changes. By the time of the 20s, with his last model of this, they could repair themselves. So you had this level of inefficiency that was that Toyota engineered out of, of creating cloth and ended up having incredibly powerful sales as a result of that. What our philosophy is, and when we're talking about shifting left, is that you, as cloud engineers, also as consumer of cloud engineer products or, or managing the cloud engineers, need to be aware of is there's always an opportunity to earlier in the process to understand what the cost factors are of what you want to accomplish. So as as Logan was saying, you you have a bunch of alternatives. You know, for example, in, in Google, you start up a VM and Google will tell you, this will cost you $24 a month. This will cost you $180 a month. But as an engineer, maybe you should look at that and say, what can I substitute in its place? Now, $24 a month doesn't sound like a lot, but if you're having to deploy hundreds of machines, what if you could have something that ran at 5 bucks a month that would only invoke itself when it was absolutely needed? So you leverage something like Cloud Run in, in Google or Lambda in AWS 
But these are decisions that have to be made very early in the design cycle to be part of a product. Now, it's somewhat controversial amongst the people that we know to expose engineers to the true cost of running the systems. There's quite a variety of opinions about it. Now, we, being a part of a small company, and we would rather be paid the money than spend the money, we have the approach to try and be as efficient as possible. There are other perspectives on this. Perspectives that say we're going to deploy a quality system rather than quantity or, or rather than focus on initial cost and incremental changes. There's benefits to both sides, but Logan, you've had experience in, in kind of the other side of this. Sure. I, I think engineers, we are problem solvers. And if you know on this deploy, I've pushed my code, I've made this change to the Terraform or to my other infrastructure's code logic, and it's going to now cost X amount to run this service for a month. I think we, we as engineers, we are problem solvers, and we begin to think about how could I make this more efficient? How could I run this service less expensively? I've also seen organizations where if an engineer feels like they have a blank check, they may design a system that has three different data stores that arguably they don't need and may over-engineer a product that could be done more efficiently if cost had been in mind. So there is there's trade-offs. I think we land on the side of cost transparency. Yeah, we cost transparency, I think everyone can agree at some point in time someone needs to be aware of and responsible for the ultimate cost of running the system. Our perspective is we drive that responsibility down to the actual implementation folks. And as Logan said, engineers are problem solvers. If we've got a problem hanging over us, it just nags us. It's in the back of our head all that time. So let's use that talent and see if we can't unleash that creativity to, to make things more cost effective. But there's things we can do at the organizational level, besides the uh, individuals, right, that we can use to control costs. Yeah, for an organization, for a situation where it's not just a handful of developers that are already communicating very closely together, I think that really important things you can do to get your arms around cost and also security are to set up things such as organizational policies for all of the projects in, in Google or accounts in the Amazon that you are running your services in. You could set policies that say, we never anticipate running anything in the Sao Paulo region, so we could just set a policy that turns off that region for all of our environments. Or we never intend to run this size of VM instance, so we can say only this set of instance types are allowed. These policies could be adjusted later down the line you, if you find a case where you do in fact need a much larger instance. But setting up these guardrails could really prevent unanticipated costs. I would also say that you should not allow your developers to have create privileges or write privileges in these development environments. Everything should be going through infrastructure as code. That also gives you good inventory and way to track the changes because it's an aversion control system to track the changes of when your infrastructure was updated or maybe an instance size got enlarged. Now you may have a you may need to still have some sandbox environments for your developers where they can click buttons in the console just to get a familiarity with a certain 
resource before they have to write the Terraform for it or before whomever writes the Terraform for it. But if you if everything is being deployed as code and you have organizational policies guarding who and what can deploy where, you'll have a much better idea of costs and far fewer unanticipated line items in your bill. And note, those if you've listened to us about other subjects like security, note that the same recommendations exist for security. You know, for every cloud provider, you as you should turn off access to regions that you don't use. It is common that if someone was to get credentials into a cloud account, the first thing they would try and figure out is which region are they not using? And so they'll spin up capacity in Singapore or Sao Paulo if you're focused on the U.S. And then you would only see possibly when you get the bill that you were running 30 uh, Bitcoining machines in Singapore for 30 days. The major recommendation we have in, in pretty much any cloud situation is first put your arms around your anticipated use and create guardrails to prevent unanticipated use. So, so our two recommendations so far, first of all, shift left as much as possible. Expose your engineers to the cost factors of a, of a system so that they can make the, the right kind of choices. They can make the choose amongst the various technologies. Second is to create guardrails that identify areas or, or they, they don't have to be absolute barriers. There can be exceptions. You know, you're, you're growing into East Asia. Sure, turn on Singapore. But if you're a development company here in the U.S., you don't have Singapore on initially. So, get you, so shift left on cost control, create organizational policies as guardrails. But what if we're catching you with deployed systems? What if you have shifted left? What if you have put the guardrails around? What are there further things you can do for cost control? And no surprise, we do think there are. Yeah, I think one thing we've mentioned before, managed services being a great opportunity for you to run things on demand, run things elastically so that you're not running instances when you don't need them. You are running things, invoking them when they need to be used. You have reactive systems. And these systems end up being very reliant on calling APIs, calling APIs of other services, calling third-party APIs. And that can be a cost factor that is not going to be exposed by that initial cost calculation that Google provides you when you're spinning up a VM. Things like data and data egress, data on the network, all these things do have a cost in cloud. So having monitoring around API calls and potential API, API call throttling is going to be really important for your already deployed systems. The approach of monitoring, the approach of reacting to the system is encompassed in something that Google, for example, calls SRE, Site Reliability Engineering. It's a term like DevOps that's kind of spun out and created its own mythos and people who have cards and say, I'm an SRE engineer, and you ask them what they're monitoring, and they look at you like you're speaking Urdu. But SRE at its fundamentals is the monitoring of everything that's going on. That every, every activity, every system, every input, every output to the system, activity within the system itself generates instrumentation. And that instrumentation is monitored for for compliance. 
Is it operating as we think it should be? Or is it operating anomalously? If it's operating anomalously, uh, let's just say weirdly, is it underperforming? Is it overperforming? The true site reliability engineer is constantly aware of how the systems are working, whether they're working within expectations, and either how to align, bring the system back within expectations, or if it's overperforming, whether that's a good thing or not, whether we can back off the, the resources in the system. So we're talking about this monitoring and instrumentation because cost control is an ongoing thing. Just the same thing as security. In, in security, you're not one and done. You don't just throw a padlock on it and then assume no one's going to break in. You're constantly monitoring it. Same thing with cost effectiveness. You want to make sure that you're monitoring the system, that it is complying with your projections for cost. Now, one hard and fast rule we will mandate from this, this podcast is if you are consuming a service on a per-call basis, in other words, you're invoking something like a Lambda, you're interacting with a database, DynamoDB, Firestore, or something along those lines, where you're not running a server, you're doing in, uh, API calls. We, uh, an unalterable rule from this podcast is you are monitoring the quantity of API calls you're making. Because just about every instance we're aware of where, where things have gone off the rails and people have got unanticipated bills, they've been because systems acted weirdly and started generating API calls like uh, recursive lambdas or capturing data at quantity and reading and writing from Firestore too quickly. In all of these cases, API calls have been made and they represent an opportunity for you to trigger, for you to generate an alert and trigger an action. And that action you trigger can be informative. You could send out a blast to everyone who has a pager or a cell phone saying something's gone wrong. Or, and in most extreme a case, you could trigger something like a cloud function and shut it down or throttle it. But in any case, you as a cost control person, you as, as a someone who's involved in running the system, have to take that SRE approach of monitoring the instrumentation to determine that something anomalous has happened and you need to react to it now before that money's spent. It's much better to not spend that money than have to <laughs> go to a large public cloud provider and say, you know that $70,000, would you mind forgiving that please? <laughs> I promise you more money, but I have to generate business first. So that's our three major areas. One, you're shifting left on cost control. Two, you're establishing guardrails for the gross level of, of making sure that you have control of what's being executed. But three, you're committing to a constant monitoring and reacting to your systems. So Take, this, take the monitoring you'd be doing for security, expand it into cost control. So any, any final lessons learned? You know, one thing I would add, I feel like kind of slots into all three of those in a way, it would be when you're picking a service, especially a managed service, really look at how you will be using it in your architecture. And there are often opportunities to use possibly a cheaper version of that service, especially for a managed service, 
if you don't need the full power of that service for your limited use case. An example would be with PubSub. PubSub is a global service. It was designed for Google's web crawling activity and as such, by necessity, needs to be global so that every page that Google's web crawlers go out and read, they can push that data to PubSub to be consumed by Google. And that powerful tool is at your disposal when you're on the Google Cloud. But maybe you just need communication between your internal services that are all in U.S. Central 1 in Iowa. You probably don't need the full power of Global PubSub, but you could use a a regional version of PubSub, known as PubSub Lite, to greatly decrease your bill. And so these types of opportunities are available to you with several to manage services provided by the different clouds. Yeah. If you design the system to use PubSub out of the gate. Great. Fabulous. That is a great, great choice. And then as you're using the system, you understand what the use pattern is and say, oh, well, we're using it internally to pass messages back and forth between applications, one region. Exactly what, what Logan said. You can, there's some price comparisons Google publishes, and we'll put the links in the, in the notes. If you're pushing like 10 megabits per second, PubSub itself would charge you about $2,000 a month, which is insane. But if you were to use PubSub Lite, you could get that bill down to $600, even $150 a month. So there's some real savings for you to look at your infrastructure and engage in continuous improvement. So that's that's pretty much our message. Own your systems, own the cost cost control, cost containment, and consider it like security, consider it like availability. One of those things you engage in continuous improvement. So that's what we wanted to talk about. Be sure to check out the show notes. We'll have lots and lots and lots of links to helpful stuff. And I think that's it for us. Talk to you later. Okay. Take care. Thank you for listening to Cloud Out Loud podcast. Please let us know in comments if you caught either of the gents calling a product or technology by the wrong name. Other information and suggestions are welcome too. Or feel free to tweet us at at cloudoutloudpod or email us at cloudoutloud at ndhsw.com. We hope to see you again next week for another episode of Cloud Out Loud. Cloud Out Loud.